uh, series on scandalous love, God's scandalous love. But speaking of scandalous love, I think it'd be appropriate if we thanked all the mothers in the house and mothers were our partners. We love you, mothers. God bless the mothers. Amen. Scandalous love, yes. My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilton Hills Church. It's good to see all of you. It's good to be in the presence of God. Um, just felt the spirit moving in that worship set. That uh, last song that we sing about God loving like a hurricane. And there's something about that song that's just, there's always an anointing there. It's just powerful. And that's what we're talking about. God's scandalous hurricane-like love um, in this series. We have talked about what God's love is and how Jesus defines God's love. Um, we've talked about how we need to be freed from our contract worldview and live in an agape worldview. If you don't know what that means, I encourage you to check out the messages that have been leading up to this. There's just been some important stuff that's been shared. Now this morning we're going to be talking about another dimension, an equally important dimension of God's love. One that people typically aren't as excited to hear about, but it's so important. It's about God's love as a refining fire. God's love as a refining fire. So we're entitling this message, Burning Love. This relates a little bit to, uh, in fact, quite a bit to this whole issue of the wrath of God. I'll be saying a little bit more about the wrath of God later on in this message. But it relates to the wrath of God and the violence and stuff in the Old Testament. Uh, and I can't address that here this morning, but we will be having a Q&A on that uh, this Tuesday uh, here in the auditorium. So if that's an issue that you wrestle with, and many of us do, that's one I've been sort of obsessed with the last year or so, uh, I encourage you to come. And Paul, Eddie, and I will be doing a little teaching around uh, that whole issue, and then we'll be taking questions uh, from the floor. You can also uh, listen to it live through our website, if you'd rather do it that way. But just so you know that that is, that is coming up. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to address all of that. I'm just going to address the basic concept of God's love as a burning fire, a consuming fire. And so the central passage that deals with this is the book of Hebrews. It's in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, for every person in this auditorium, every person listening on television or through podcasting, the entire congregation of Wilton Hills Church, we pray, Lord God, that you would be softening our hearts to receive your word and uh, enlightening our minds to understand what's being said and not to have it distorted by preconceptions or assumptions that we have. Open us up to receive your word, and God, we pray that there'd be a fire, a fire, a fire in this word that would burn away everything in our life that needs to be burned away. Burn up the chaff. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Our God is a consuming fire. Two weeks ago we talked about the original sin of the Bible, which is eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we showed how that is about our judgments. When we fell in the primordial past and when we fall yet today, what we do more than anything else is we invite the cosmic lawyer into our head. That's Satan, the accuser. And we start assessing the world, everything in the world, interpreting everything in the world through the lens of our knowledge of good and evil, through our judgments. Uh, we start to police 
uh, things and, and assess things and evaluate things. And we're always about measuring up and comparing and contrasting. We live in that world and all of it blocks the freedom of the dance of God's love. That's why it's the original sin of the Bible. We look at the world through this legal contract worldview instead of this agape love worldview. And when we have that framework, that legal framework, that contract framework, what happens is when we think about salvation and judgment, it gets construed in a legal framework. Everything gets construed in a legal framework. We think of it in terms of a court of a law, a court of law, a legal framework, rather than in terms of a marriage, a covenantal framework. And in a legal framework, salvation becomes reduced down to being acquitted for a crime. Mere acquittal. And condemnation means you're not acquitted. You're thrown into prison. Everything is, and so much of Western theology is all about that, reducing the gospel down to these legal categories as though God was first and foremost simply a, a, a lawyer and the whole job of life was to get off the hook on stuff. And in that framework, when we hear a, a, a word like our God is a consuming fire, well, it gets interpreted in that legal framework and so it comes to mean something like this. If you're a rule breaker, and that's what gets God, God mad, right? If you break the rules, well, he's going to burn you up. His very being's going to burn you up. And that has been used to install the fear of God in people throughout history. As a kid, I had nightmares about the fires of hell, which is the fire of God's consuming wrath, the wrath of God. It expresses God's anger, his vengeance. He's vindictive. He's getting even because we break rules, and that really makes God mad, so he burns us up. Although he doesn't burn us up because the burning goes on for all eternity. When we think about God's God being a consuming fire, as with everything else in theology, in the Bible, in life, it's so very vital that we center all of our thinking on Jesus, the one and only Word of God, truth of God, way of God, perfect expression of God. We talked about that in the second week of this series. Everything's got to be grounded in Jesus Christ, interpreted through the lens of Jesus Christ. What Jesus reveals more than anything else we've shown is that God is, in his, in his essence, his very being, agape love. It's not just something he does. It's who he is throughout eternity. God is other-oriented, self-sacrificial, perfect agape love. That's his very being. Jesus reveals that. God is love. But now, this morning, we're learning that God is a consuming fire. So we need to interpret God being a consuming fire in the light of God being love. Let's do a little biblical mathematics here. If you take God as love, 1 John 4, 8, that's what Jesus reveals. Add to that the truth that God is a consuming fire. The equation you come up with is that God is a consuming fire of love. It's not that God is love and then there's this other thing called consuming fire that competes with his love. There's not two different things here. There's only one thing and that is God's love, but it is also a consuming fire. God is a consuming fire of love. God is this ever-burning cauldron of searing hot molten love. God is like the sun. It's 27 million degrees. It's very, very, very hot. And it never cools down. There's no off button on this. What the sun does is just burn. That's what it is to be, the sun. Uh, always burning, always the searing 27 million degree heat. That's, just, that, that's the nature of the sun. Well, God is from eternity to eternity. This hot, searing, molten love. 27 million degrees. In fact, infinite degrees of perfect, unwavering, unsurpassable love. That's who God is. He doesn't just choose to be that once in a while. That's his very nature. He is this hot love. And the cross, the cross is the perfect expression of just how hot God's love is. 
that God would go to this extent for our salvation. The cross is like the supernova expression of the heat of God's love, that perfect love. And since everything needs to be interpreted through the lens of the cross, through the lens of Jesus Christ, the cross also reveals us the way in which that hot, searing, million heat degree love is also a consuming fire. Because on the cross, when Jesus dies on the cross, he in principle consumes, burns up everything that opposes God's love. We won't see that perfectly expressed till the kingdom comes in fullness at the end of the age, at the end of this epoch. But in principle, when Jesus Christ dies on the cross and he says, it is finished, well, evil is in that moment consumed. Hatred is in that moment consumed. Wrath is in that moment consumed. Rebellion is in that moment consumed. The principalities and powers are in that moment consumed. Fear and sickness and death are in that moment consumed. Everything that's contrary to the will of God, everything that opposes us entering into that will, it is all consumed on the cross. The cross is the consuming fire of God's love. Consumes everything that is inconsistent with God's imperfect love. Incinerates all evil. And in doing that, liberates now the world, the entire cosmos, in fact, to move toward that time, that age, when God's kingdom will be built on earth as it is in heaven, when God's will will be perfectly done in the cosmos, when the kingdom is come in fullness. It's coming a time when God's supernova love will shine in every square inch of creation and everything inconsistent with that love will be justly and mercifully consumed. Evil will be no more. And that will be true then for, for all eternity. The whole business of life, here and now, in this period between the cross and the coming kingdom, the whole business of life, in this probational epic in which we are in, is to get acclimated for that coming kingdom. To get prepared for that coming kingdom. To be ready to live in that reality when God's searing hot love will define every square inch of the cosmos. Will we be acclimated towards it? It's a little bit like this. If you take these creatures that the Discovery Channel is talking about uh, that live on the bottom of the ocean, we're always finding new, new kinds of living life forms uh, down there. And if you were to bring these creatures that live six miles beneath uh, the, the sea level and bring them up to the sea level, they would instantaneously die because they're not acclimated to that environment. Or you take a creature that lives at sea level, uh, like us, for example, and put us, on, put us at the bottom of the ocean and we'll instantly die because we're not acclimated to that environment. You can only live in the environment for which you're acclimated. What we need to know is that there is coming in the future on the earth and throughout the cosmos a serious atmospheric change our environment is about ready to change. This is the theological version of environmental awareness. There's coming a time when God's love, God's perfect love, that searing hot love is going to define every square inch of the cosmos. God's love will in that time be the atmosphere that we live in. God's love, perfect love, will be the air that we breathe. God's love will be the environment that we, we share together. God's love will be the ground that we walk on. Everything will be defined by God's perfect love. And everything inconsistent with that perfect love will be consumed. It will be, as the prophet Obadiah said, it will be as though it never was. The wicked will be as though they never were. God's love will consume everything that is inconsistent with it. And so God in his perfect love is working now in this probationary epoch 
this, this, this season that we're in. He's working now to burn up everything in our life that's inconsistent with that kingdom as a way of preparing us for that kingdom, to acclimate us to that kingdom. He's a consuming fire now. And this, frankly, is the tough side of God's love. And many people don't want to hear anything about it, but it's so absolutely crucial, the tough side of God's love. Some people seem to have the idea that if you really believe that God is love, then you believe God is sort of like this, 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 this teddy bear in heaven who just sort of says, ah, sin, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. And then when they interpret the salvation message through their legal fallen categories... They think salvation is a matter of being acquitted. So if they're acquitted, well, then nothing else really matters. God's not concerned with your character, about how, you know, how your attitudes and your thoughts and your behaviors. And so you combine that with the teddy bear image of God. And what you get is people who think that God's love and God's grace means you can do whatever you want. And God doesn't really care. Grace becomes sort of a ticket to get out of all the consequences of your behavior. And I frankly have been surprised, even appalled, by some of the things that professing Christians do under the name of God's grace. And when people who love them try to confront that behavior or those attitudes to say, wait a minute, this isn't consistent with your, 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 your claim to have Christ as Lord, they, they respond by saying, wait, you can't judge me. You're, you're a legalist. You're judging me. I'm under God's love. I'm under God's grace. If I want to abandon my wife and children and move in with a hottie down the street a little bit, you know, well, you, you can't tell me that that's wrong. I'm under God's grace. Who are you to judge me? That is not God's grace. That's no closer to God's grace than the, the most pharisaical form of legalism. That's not God's grace and that's God, not God's love. What that is is a juvenile rationalization of your sin. What that is is a demonic distortion and abuse of God's grace and God's love. Everybody who maybe has a tendency to use God's grace as a license to do whatever their carnal heart wants to do and feel good about it, you need to hear this message this morning. You need to read that verse this morning. Our God is a consuming fire. And that's supposed to install awe in us, the passage says. And notice that this is written to Christians. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians. It's not just... For non-believers, some people have this idea that if you just pray the sinner's prayer, well, now God looks at you and he can't see your sin as though God all of a sudden went blind. No, the, the sin's forgiven, but he cares about your character. He cares about your attitudes. He cares about how you treat other people. He loves you too much not to care. He's a consuming fire of love, which means the supernova heat of God's love is also a supernova heat of his consuming wrath against sin. God is not some stupid teddy bear who says, ah, don't worry about it. No, God, God is the ferocious lover of your soul who cares too much about you to say forget about it. God is, is, is the passionate lover of, of your soul who knows that you're above some of the stuff that maybe you're getting involved in. He loves you too much to let you go on in your self-destructive behavior and in your behavior that destroys others. He loves you too much to let you go on in living in a way that makes you incompatible with the coming kingdom. He loves you enough to say, I want to be right now burning up the stuff in your life that needs to be burned up if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God and be acclimated for this coming kingdom. So he's perpetually at, at work right here and right now in his passionate love. In his passionate love, he's at work right here and right now to burn up all the stuff in our life that is inconsistent with the character of Christ. If you think that there's no consequences for your sinful behavior because you believe in Jesus, you better think again. God loves you too much to let that be true. 
That's why throughout the Bible, the fire of God's love is portrayed as a purifying fire. A purifying fire. A classic passage on this is Malachi chapter 3. It says, he will be like a refiner's fire. Notice, he will be like the fire. God's being is the fire. The fire is not outside of him. He is the fire. And that fire is perfect, supernova heat like love. And it refines us. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Holy Spirit, help us to receive this. Here God is depicted as a blacksmith who is holding the metal in the fire. Remember, the fire is the heat of his love. And when a blacksmith holds metal in fire, all the impurities, all the dross comes to the surface and melts away. And that's what makes this metal fit to be the kind of metal it's supposed to be. It purifies the metal, so now it's strong. It's not compromised. Now it can do what the metal is supposed to do. That's what God does with us. I was doing a little research on this this week to figure out more about what exactly goes on with this. And I came across a story of a woman who had read Malachi 3 and wanted to figure out how exactly this works. So she went to this blacksmith and watched him for a while. And she noticed that this blacksmith would, when the metal was in the fire... Uh, would, would just keep his eye on it very intently. And, and she said, why do you have to always watch it? Why, why can't you just put it there and then walk away, do other things, and come back? And the, and the blacksmith told her, well, you see, if, if, if you have it in the fire too long, that also compromises the metal. You've got to take it out at just the right time. After all the impurities have been melted away, but you don't want to overcook it. Uh, you've got to take it out at just the right time. And so she said, well, how do you know what exactly the right time is? And the blacksmith responded to her by saying, well, I, I look for my reflection in the metal. When I can see clearly my reflection, then that is exactly the right time to take it out. And folks, that is exactly, exactly what God is doing with us. We are made to reflect his image. We're made in the image of God. We're made to be God lookalikes, if you will. He wants to see his reflection in us, his beauty in us, his joy in us. And that's how we participate and the joy of his being throughout eternity. We are made to be like little mirrors that reflect in our own way the, the vastness of the sun. And we receive the light and the warmth of the sun and we reflect it back. And we refract it throughout the cosmos. And that's God's plan for us throughout eternity. We, we are to re receive and reflect back the love and the joy and the ecstasy of the triune God and to thereby dance in the warmth of the triune God and share in his glory forever and ever and ever. That's, that, that, that's the kind of metal we are made to be, if you will. So God can look at us and see his own reflection. But what happens is, is through our rebellion and through our sin and through our oppression to the principalities and powers, we let all sorts of other stuff get inside of us, stuff that wasn't meant to be there, alien minerals, if you will, and it takes away our reflective power, our reflective capacities. We become like wood. You can't see your reflection in, in a tree. No, wood doesn't reflect anything. We were never meant to be like that, but that's what we make ourselves to be when we let all these other impurities come into us. And God, in his love, cares too much to let us go on being like that. We're meant to, we have this high calling to reflect his glory. Instead, we make ourselves into common rocks that don't reflect anything. And God loves us too much to let us go like that. So he gets in our face. He, he, he comes at us sometimes with ferocious love to say, I will not let it be. I will rescue your capacity to reflect my image. 
Any parent who cares about their kids, who really loves their kids, when you see your kids going down the wrong path, hanging out with the wrong crowd, or starting to do drugs, or you suspect that, or starting to sleep around, or whatever, you see self-destructive behavior there, you don't turn into some fluffy teddy bear and say, all kids will be kids. If you love them, you get in their face. You get ferocious if you need to. I will not let you destroy your life. Or some spouse, if you see your husband or wife starting to go astray and the marriage is starting to, to be compromised and maybe they're starting to get eyes for other people, you don't turn into some fluffy tater bear and says, oh, I guess that's the end of that. No, if you really love them, you get in their face. You do all you can do. You die if necessary to salvage this marriage because the lover is worth fighting for. Love fights for the, the, the beloved. So also God fights for us. God gets in our face. What we call the wrath of God is simply the supernova heat of his passionate love consuming our self-destructive sin. In his ferocious love, he comes towards us to burn up everything that's inconsistent with the purpose for which he created us, which is to reflect his image. He wants to see his image in us. And so the whole business of this, this epic right now is for, as God works in our life, is to grow in our capacity to receive and reflect the love and the joy, the character of God which acclimates us to his coming kingdom when his love will define every square inch of the cosmos. For God to show forth his image, he's got to burn up everything that's inconsistent with it. If we're going to reflect God's character, everything that's not part of that character has got to be burned up. It's dross. If he's going to reflect his holiness, he's got to burn up the sin. If, he's going to reflect, if we're going to reflect his generosity, he's got to burn up our, our greed. If, he's, if we're going to reflect his beautiful humility, he's got to burn up our pride. If we're going to reflect his beautiful grace, he's got to burn up our arrogant, self-serving judgments. If we're going to reflect his perfect truth, he's got to burn up all the lies. All of that is dross. He's got to melt away all the bondage, all the deception, all the hatred, all the violence, all the rebellion. It's got to be burned up. Not because God wants to get even or settle accounts, but because of his passionate, burning love for each one of us. And our job, and we have a job here, because we're not just rocks, we're, we're, we're rocks with free agents. and we're, we're free agents, we got freedom. And so our job in this is to submit. As we did with that earlier song, when we say, God, you know, like, 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 like water's flowing over us, like rain falling, like fire burning, burn away the chaff, take everything away from us that doesn't belong there. That's our job, is to submit and to yield. And when we submit and yield to the burning process, what happens is, God, God's fiery love becomes a warming, liberating force in our life. But when we resist, when we fight him, you declare war on the almighty God of the universe with that ferocious love, and it can hurt. We now experience his fiery love as the painful heat of his wrath. And the Bible teaches us that what isn't burned away now is going to be burned away later. This is what Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ. There's a passage in which he's talking primarily about church uh, ministers and people are planning churches, but it applies to all of us in different ways. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Now notice here, the judgment day is simply the day when everything's brought to light. It, it, it's, it, it's just truth day. Whatever is real, whatever is true, we're all going to see that. Light will be shining everything. Whatever is 
Dross will be exposed to be dross, waste material. Paul says, it will in that day be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. In other words, you'll get out of your burning house, but the entire house is going to be lost. Your, your life will have been a wood life or a hay life, a burnable life. It will not survive the coming fire. Now, there's a lot of ways of applying this very important verse, but here's one way that applies to all of us. It means that character refinement what we call sanctification, learning how to live compatible with God, that is not an optional thing. A lot of people think it is. Like, it's nice if you do it, but it's not, like, optional because they have a legal framework, and the main thing is to be acquitted. I submit to you that it is not an optional thing. It's going to happen either now or later, and a lot of the Bible teaches us, especially the teachings of Jesus, that it's in our interest to do it now. It's going to hurt later. This is what Paul calls the the judgment seat of Christ. Whatever is not burned up now is going to be burned up later. It's the judgment seat of Christ, which I think is the same as the final judgment. Some people make a distinction between the judgment seat of Christ and the final judgment. I don't. Uh, But however you work that out, at the end of time, all souls who have ever been created will come into the presence of God. That fiery, hot, supernova, sun-like love. God is just being God. And the judgment day is simply the day of truth. Here's what is real. This is what transitions us from this epic to the next epic, when the kingdom has come in fullness. God is here, and now his, his love, his being, is going to define all of reality. That's why it's called the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And the only question then is this. God says, here's who I am in reality. Who are you? Are you compatible with me or not? And as we come into the presence of that love, everything that's not consistent with that love is burned up. He salvages whatever can be salvaged. He refines whatever can be refined. He purifies whatever can be purified, but he mercifully and justly destroys all that cannot so that it is as though it never was. This isn't about God getting even or settling scores or anything. It's just about God being God. Here's reality. Here's who I am. Are you compatible with me or not? Come into my presence. And whatever is compatible survives. Whatever is not, does not. And the criteria here, Paul says, is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Whatever is compatible with his image, whatever reflects his image, will be refined and purified in the process of coming into God's presence. But whatever is not compatible with that image, whatever is irrevocably and irreversibly set against that image, is burned up. It is wood, it is hay, it is straw. It does not define the fire. It does not survive the fire. So what does that consuming fire look like here and now in our life? How does that operate now? I'll first say a word about what it doesn't look like, and then I'll say, offer two suggestions about what it does look like. As God, here and now, in his love, consumes what needs to be consumed. Here's what it doesn't look like. A lady I knew some years ago had lost her baby in the process of giving birth to that baby, and she was told by a professor of theology that that was God teaching her a lesson or God refining her character. And so you hear all over the place whenever terrible tragedies happen, whether it's a loved one being stricken with cancer or, or a child being killed or, or what have you, uh, you're told that this is God teaching you a lesson or this is God refining your character. There's one couple I knew who, was, was, their child had drowned in their pool and um, they were told that that was, their pastor told them that 
He suspected that God was teaching them a lesson because they had an inordinate love for their child and God was concerned that they would love their child more than God. So God killed the child. And that's actually a teaching that goes right back to St. Augustine. And we've got to ask ourselves a question at this point. It's a very important question. Are we talking about Jesus Christ or Al Capone? Because I can see Al Capone saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to kill your kid to teach you a lesson. I cannot picture Jesus Christ thinking and talking that way. Like everything else, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the criteria for everything. And Jesus didn't go around killing kids to teach parents a lesson. Jesus spent his ministry dealing with people in tragic situations and never once does he say that God brought the tragedy to teach him a lesson or to refine their character. Rather, Jesus reveals God's love by coming against that stuff because that stuff's part of the demonic war zone that we're a part of. We get afflicted for a lot of reasons down here, but it's not about God zapping us. It's about us being caught in the crossfires of this cosmic war. And so Jesus ministers to these people and liberates them from their tragic situations. Jesus Christ is not Al Capone. And, and I know that there are people listening in this auditorium or through podcasting or some other means who have been indoctrinated with the Al Capone image of God. I mean, you had a tragedy that you went through and, and you were told, well, this is God teaching you a lesson or God refining your character. And you wonder why you don't have that much passion for God and maybe you wonder why you don't have much passion for life. And I submit to you, it's not hard to understand because it's just hard to get excited about Al Capone. Uh, if that's your view of God and if that's your view of life, well, that is kind of sad. And it's going it's to, however much you intended to, to be otherwise, it's going to suck some of the life out of your passion for God and out of your passion for life. And I just encourage you who have been afflicted with that theology to run a new movie in your head. Submit your imagination to God and ask him to show you the real Jesus. And, and, and in the midst of the tragedy that you went, went through in the past or maybe are going through right now, see Jesus coming to you in his in his loving character, and he enters into solidarity with your pain. He's on your side. He grieves with you. He cries with you. And invite him in on that, and through that means he brings healing and restoration into our life. That is a picture of God that you can fall in love with and get passionate about and dance with now in this epic and then throughout eternity. Let the Lord heal you. Run a different kind of a movie. That's, so, so, so here's what it doesn't look like. God's consuming fire doesn't look like him killing our kids or sending some other kind of tragedies in order to refine our character. Here's what it does look like. Two things. First, when the silversmith or blacksmith is, is refining the metal, the dross comes to the surface. It's exposed. So also when God is refining us in his loving heart, fiery love when God's refining us stuff comes to the surface and that's one of the ways you know that that's something that perhaps God is trying to burn away he's always working in our life to prepare us to acclimate us for the coming kingdom to burn things away and some things come to the surface right away in our walk with him other things don't come for a long time but they do eventually come and so when we're ready what can happen is this when we're ready the Holy Spirit brings to the surface something for us to pay attention to. It can be something that you, you never dreamed you'd have conviction about, and all of a sudden you have kind of a conviction about it. Or there's a new kind of pain in your soul, a new ache in your heart, a new longing in your spirit. Something that is just there and you've been maybe ignoring, and God's saying, you know what, let's pay attention to this. It doesn't have to be something that's, that's totally evil. It could be something that is normal for other people, but God's calling you to give it up. That's how God is purifying us. He requires of one what he does not require of all. Of all, our job is not to ask why, but just to submit to this refining process. 
And you can tell when, when God is bringing something to, to, to the forefront of your mind, in prayer or other times, you start to notice something. It's, it's, it, it's that thorn in your brain. It's just there. Pay attention to that. We're really good at trying to ignore that kind of stuff. We pray around it. Every missionary in the world, but we don't pray about the one thing that God wants us to be praying about. The Lord is saying to us here this morning, or whenever you're listening to this, pay attention to the things that he brings to the surface. There's a, a lady I spoke with uh, just a short while ago, attractive young lady who, without knowing it, uh, kind of woke up to the reality that a lot of her life was spent trying to get men's approval. Uh, it had been working for her since second grade, and so she just kept on working it. As with many women who are afflicted with this, it's, her, it was rooted in a wounded relationship she had with her father. But see, this was her kind of her idolatry. This is how she got life. This is what she was good at. She was cute, she was funny, she was sexy, and so she got attention, and that was kind of her source of esteem and source of security for her. And she started to wake up to that. Didn't even notice that she was doing it for most of her life, but for some reason in her late 20s and early 30s, she began to wake up. It, it felt less satisfying to her. It felt wrong to her. It felt shallow. She felt cheap when she would... Uh, get involved in that kind of thought process and that kind of behavior. And as you might expect, it produced a lot of thought and attitude and behavior that was wood and hay and straw. that didn't at all reflect God's character and that would not survive the fire of God's love. So God was bringing it to the surface, saying, pay attention to this. Now, she had a choice. We always have a choice. The thing is about idols and that stuff that comes to the surface... We may know that it's ugly and it's inappropriate and, and, and it's even harming us, but the thing about old idols is that they're familiar and there's a security with them. We're used to doing that. We know we're confident about that. Letting go of that's kind of scary. So there's always a choice. And she fought God for a while. She didn't want to let that go. What she found is that the more she clung to that old self, that Barbie doll self-image, the more painful it grew to cling to that image. You know, we sang earlier about the hurricane. God's love is like this hurricane. And we bend beneath the wind of that hurricane. And see, if we do, in fact, bend and become pliable, it just burns away or blows away all the stuff that shouldn't be there. But you try to plant your feet and stand up against that hurricane, and it's going to hurt. You take on a hurricane, and now the same wind, God's love doesn't change, but the same wind that could have been experienced as this loving freedom dance is going to be experienced as the painful wrath of God against that sin. It's because of the way that we're responding to it. This woman had a choice. Thankfully, over time, over time, she learned how to crucify that old Barbie doll self and let go of that idolatry. And as she did that, she grew in her capacity to get her life from God, which is the one she's only supposed to be getting life from. And she grew in her capacity to reflect his character. And she discovered a source of self-esteem that she never otherwise would have known. And a, self, a source of joy that she never otherwise would have known. And she began to wake up to the truth that she's the daughter of, of the king of all kings. And she's the bride of her loving groom in heaven. And she don't need no man to approve of anything she does. She don't need to worry about what she looks like to any other man or what guy thinks she's sexy or what guy thinks she's smart or whatever. She doesn't need a man. She's got Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is enough. Hey, amen. What a sorry situation when you could have this glorious, God-reflecting sense of worth and instead you're going to hinge it day by day on what some bozo thinks about you on the bus. Bad trade, bad trade, let it go. See, God was just trying to burn it up. The principle is that the more we let go, the more we experience the heat of his love as a liberating warmth. 
But the more we cling to this stuff or try to ignore it, the more we experience that love as a form of wrath. Because God in his ferocious love is desperate to free us from our self-destructive behaviors and attitudes. Same love, different experience. So the question is, what, what is the fire of God bringing to the surface in our life? I believe he's always bringing stuff to the surface if we're paying attention. Ask God to show you what it is he wants to burn away and then submit. The second way that God's love looks in our life here and now as he's acclimating us for the coming kingdom is Romans 8.28, a verse that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. In all things God works for the good for those of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, God is always active. Now, it's not that God's out there saying, okay, I, I'll work for the good in, with you, 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 and you, and you because I've called you, but I'm going to ignore everybody else. It's not like that. God wants to work in everyone's life, in the good and the bad and the ugly. It's just that it's only those who know him, who love him, and who are working to have their life aligned with his purposes, they're the only ones who will cooperate with God in doing this process. In fact, the word there for work in Romans 8.28, God works all things, the word there is synergeo in Greek. We get the word synergy from it, and it means to work in relationship with another. So God's working with us, saying, hey, if, if you'll yield to me, I can bring good out of this. He wants to do that with everybody. Here's the thing. In this war zone that we're a part of right now, in this epic, the bad and the ugly and painful situations are all around us. Those are our fires, if you will. But God doesn't need to start those fires in order to refine us. They're already there. We create a lot of fires ourselves, and we get burned by them. Other people create fires, and they get burned by them, and we get burned by them. And the whole world is under the oppression of the enemy. And so the whole world, in various ways, is set on fire. And I say that to say this. God doesn't need to be orchestrating painful circumstances in your life to teach you stuff. No, the painful circumstances are already there. He doesn't do that. He doesn't bring about the bad and the ugly because he's a beautiful God. But given that there's going to be bad and ugly situations, given that there's going to be fire, God says, okay, I'll get involved in that, and I can, in my wisdom, use it. And surely part of the good that he brings out of the fire is we've always got things to learn, and we've always got aspects of our character to be refined. And so God says, in this fire, I can burn away this kind of dross. The fire may grieve him. It, it may make him weep. He may hate the fire. He may wish it never came about. It could be something that your sin brought about or someone else's sin or the devil brought about. But God says, okay, as long as it's here, I can use it for good. And so in whatever situation we're in, however painful, even demonic the situation is, it's appropriate to look for the hand of God. Not as the cause of the fire. No, 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 he's not El Capone. But he is the loving redeemer who enters into the hell of our experience to bring something heavenly out of it. And that's how he refines us. In whatever situation we're in, look for his wisdom. He works in all things to refine us, to teach us. The person I spoke with recently had their house foreclosed on. And, and he didn't think, and I don't think that was God's perfect will for his life. And he tried to do everything to prevent it from happening. And some of it was his fault, a lot of it was the bank's fault, and blah, blah, blah. In a fallen world, it happens. But now that it's here, his house got foreclosed on. And he was in a pretty desperate situation, lost his job and whatever. God brought some really good things out of it. God didn't cause it, but God brought good out of it. And he, he was saying how, how God has used this just to refine him. God's burned up a lot of his pride. Didn't realize he had pride in that house. God's burned up a lot of his false security. Didn't realize how much security he had in this house. God's burned up his apathy towards the poor. He didn't realize how little he cared about the homeless until he was one. And all of a sudden, he could really enter into God's heart for the homeless and the poor. God uses every situation in our life.
to burn up what needs to be burned up. So I want us to just uh, close our eyes for a moment, if you will, and I want to ask this two questions. Holy Spirit, help us to be honest. The hardest challenge sometimes. Help us to be honest. How is God using circumstances in your life right now to burn away what doesn't belong in your life in the first place? Attitudes, thought processes, behavior, relationships. Are you in a situation where God wants to use it to teach you, to refine you, and to acclimate you for his coming kingdom, which is to say to acclimate you to his loving presence? It can be something even evil. He didn't want it to be there, but now it's here, and so he's using it. Lord, give us wisdom to see that. The circumstances we're in right now, it's not just all darkness. No, there's always light there if we'll have eyes to see it. Help us to see the light. The light of your comfort, yes. And deliverance, yes, but also your wisdom in using it to refine us. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. And secondly, ask this question, what is coming to the surface in your life? could be something that you never dreamed that you'd have a problem with, but all of a sudden, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't belong. Will you, as we sang earlier, the song that Greg's playing right now, will you just say to the Lord, burn. Burn. Burn away the chaff. Sweep away the darkness. Fall like fire, Lord. Fall like fire. We are the metal, Lord. Burn us to the point where we can, you can see your reflection in us. What is God bringing to the surface? What are, what's the dross? What are the impurities that are rising up there? Your job isn't to just make a pledge to say, I'll try hard to get rid of it. No, let him burn it. Let him burn it. Just offer it up. Surrender it to him. And undoubtedly, there's a part of you right now that's saying, no, I can't do that. It's too important to me. Ask God to change your heart, change your desires, and to find the truth that all security, all worth, all value, all purpose is found in Him and in Him alone. Everything else has got to go. Burn, Lord. Holy Spirit, right now, sweep over this place like the flaming tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost. And those who are listening in other ways, Lord God, whether they're washing dishes or jogging or driving the car, reveal to them what the dross is that needs to be let go and burned up. And give us a heart that will not try to stand up against the hurricane, but will bend freely and dance with you rather than fight you. Thank you, God, for being a God who cares enough to get in our face. Thank you, God, for being a God who has ferocious love, who will not let your beloved go in her self-destructive way. Thank you, God, for being a God who has wrath against our self-destructive sin. Help us, God, to see that wrath as good news. It's good news. It's beautiful news. It's liberating news. It's freeing news. Help us to receive it as such. As we surrender ourselves to you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Praise God. What a good God we serve. What a good God. His wrath is beautiful. Amen. The hot God, fiery God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. The front of the auditorium is open. If you want to come forward for prayer, I encourage you to do that. Whatever the need may be, come forward, and these folks would love to pray with you. Go out, have a happy Mother's Day, and build the kingdom on fire.